Hello, and welcome to Econversation, a podcast that brings together activists, artists, and academics to discuss the most pressing issues and also to raise questions to each other about the climate crises. My name is Paul Heritage. I'm director of People's Palace Projects, which is an arts research centre for social justice at Queen Mary University of London, where I'm also professor of drama and performance. In this first episode, I'm going to be talking with two very special guests about the role of artists and arts organisations during what's been declared a climate emergency. I'm going to be joined by Madeleine Hunis, who's chief executive producer at The Shed in New York, and a former creative director of South Bank Centre in London. And before that, when Madeleine and I first met, he was artistic director of Bush Theatre and also Freedom Studios in Bradford. I'll also be talking to Zoe Svensson, associate artist at Donmar Warehouse in London and a lecturer at Cambridge University. Zoe's been director and dramaturg at a fascinating range of British theatres. She's been at the Barbican, at the Young Vic and Shakespeare's Globe. But first, I welcome Madani. It's great to be here, Paul. So excited to be having this conversation with you today. So wherever you land, Madani, you're always pushing borders, boundaries, whether they're artistic, social, political. What are the boundaries that you think we need to push or perhaps actually some of the boundaries we need to reinforce in today's climate crisis? This is a moment of... Um commitments. This is a moment of change. We have to find mechanisms by which we are holding each other to account, mechanisms by which the choices we are making are in service to a greater good, and actually what is the collective good that we are all in service of. And I feel, to the credit of the cultural sector across the globe right now, this question of the climate emergency that we're all in the midst of is a question that feels pervasive amongst us all. I'm keen to understand how we create global networks that allow these conversations to be shared and to be pervasive. And so really, I think that is the next step for us. Like, how do we begin to shape a thinking that is truly global, that includes communities that have been excluded from this conversation for too many decades in order that we can serve something that is bigger than any one organization or any one country's interest? Do you have that sense when you're at the shed that you're creating for the end of the world? Is, is there any way that the arts can ever become urgent? I imagine at the shed you have lots of deadlines for things like next year and for things need to be put together at such a sort of time scale. So how do we, how do arts organizations, particularly ones working on the scale that you do, also get that sense of immediacy and urgency that the climate crisis demands of us? That's such a powerful question, Paul, because this year, my personal world was rocked by the flooding that has taken place in Pakistan. Literally one third of Pakistan right now is underwater, which has exceeded every norm we have seen in the past. That is 30 million people have been affected. 170,000 homes were damaged. I come from not far from that region in Pakistan that has been so severely affected. And so I can't come into work without also carrying that reality with me. And as you rightly point out, 
maybe the arts with our long lead-in times, with our planning cycles, with our funding needs, with our producing needs, maybe we can't be reactive all the time in the work that we're making. And that's maybe just the reality of our processes and the structures that we currently abide by. Maybe that will change. But I think even though our structures and our systems might mean we don't have the capacity to write that new work or to um, curate that new show, I do think it's incumbent upon arts institutions to have a commitment to this area of work beyond just the artistic work that's happening on stage. And the artistic work, as we know so well, and work that you yourself have been involved in, I mean, the work with Simon McBurney in particular is a great example of this, is how does one take the greatest artists of our time, invite them to have a conversation with the concerns of this moment? And what does that yield? What is the result of that? And I think there are great examples of this, and I think so many artists feel so committed to this, but as we rightly point out, what's happening in Pakistan and what's happening in other parts of the world right now, we have to be able to be reactive. We have to be able to be in service to this. And I think for me, Paul, the last three years have really taught me that lesson that my practice has to be in service to something bigger than myself. And that means something bigger than the artistic mission, that's something bigger than local arts policy. It has to serve something bigger. And I think there is no bigger cause right now than the climate emergency that we are all facing. You're so provocative always, because <laughs> that, that word you've used a couple of times about service, it's like, I can just, I can feel all sorts of artists sort of going, mm, I don't know if I want to be in service to anything. Do you, is there a tension when you say that? It feels like something quite deliberate now you're going out there and nailing your colors to. To be in service is, I feel, a civic responsibility. And I feel for arts institutions, that civic responsibility should be something that lives beyond just virtue signaling, beyond platitudes, should be in our actions. This isn't to be judged just, of course, we might believe our um, planning and our various policies are the things that hold us to account. But the truth is, it is our communities that will in the end hold us to account. And that's the conversation for me that has really shifted, is how do our communities, those that we're seeking to serve, how do they hold us to account? What purpose and meaning do you get from other artists? Who are the ones that are inspiring you uh, to, to make this change? Um, I think the work of Martina Mayock, who has just opened the cost of living on Broadway with Manhattan Theatre Club, is an exceptional production. Martina is one of those true writers of our time. Cost of Living is about interconnectedness, the complexity and essentiality of care. I think Tracy Letts' uh, most recent show on Broadway, again, kind of really helped to position the questions of cultural uh, inheritance, the idea of white fragility, the idea of kind of social and political responsibility. What happens here today will have an impact for a long time to come. You think? No. <laughs> I think we're even here at The Shed. Earlier this year, we had the amazing visual artist, Thomas Saraceno. Um, Thomas Saraceno, whose entire practice is in conversation with the environment, with the climate. Thomas Saraceno creates interactive installations, floating sculptures, 
and community projects to propose sustainable and equitable ways of inhabiting the Earth. I think it's the time to reinvent what a human is. You have to make the effort to change your own perspective and try to construct something which is beyond your own form of knowledge. He advocates for a different rhythm of living, one that connects us with nature and drives us towards a post-fossil fuels era. This was an entire building takeover for us and for all of us um, who work within the cultural sector. I think there's an understanding that maybe when you're putting on a visual art show that your daytime attendance might be slightly lower than your, say, weekend and evening attendance. We found the complete opposite in the case of the work of Tomas Sorosino. Not only did it occupy every inch of our building, it also attracted audiences that were truly intersectional, that really wanted to speak to understand this. And what was his metaphor, Paul? Like the idea of the spider as a way of looking at the world. So yeah, I suppose just a couple of examples from, the, from those directly speaking to the idea of climate and climate change with their work, to artists who within their practice as artists are again centering ideas that I personally feel are shifting the way I look and inhabit the world I'm living in right now. Do you think it is that the, the, this question of scale, uh, uh, of where what scale we need to be working at, is is something that drives you? I'm I'm reminded you talked about Simon McBurney and you talked about shows on Broadway and of course the Encounter went to Broadway, but Fainty Balogun, who worked with him on the uh, who worked with Complicité on Can I Live, the incredible film, he's talked about the need to galvanize the masses, that, that to speak to the people who are not being communicated with. So, let's start from the beginning. What is climate change? Why don't we talk about it? Why don't we talk about it live? Why don't we roll? Why don't we talk about it? Why don't we talk about it live? Why don't we roll? Why don't we talk about it? Why don't we talk about it live? Why don't we roll? Why don't we talk about it? Why don't we talk about it? I don't want to burn the house down. Um, do you think there is also that urgency to go to scale in the work we're making? I come from a background of making work in community settings, in studio theatres, in found spaces, to traditional theatres, um, and now working at a scale that I've never previously worked at before. And I believe that in each of those different versions, there is impact to be found, there is meaning to be found. I am energized by scale. And scale for me is about reach and the reach to connect with people. The idea of how we use both live and digital platforms to create a multiplier effect that reaches broader audiences. I'm also interested in scale and the idea of scale and achieving depth as well. And I think often the idea of scale can sometimes feel like it's kind of like throwing fireworks into, this, into the night sky that is very beautiful, but do you get depth with scale? Like, is it kind of much more transactional when it comes to scale? Like, are you just impressed and in awe? Does it really move your core? And we are in a moment right now, and I think all of, all of your listeners will will similarly be experiencing this moment of transformation in our sector. The idea that what we once knew to be true is shifting, and also the scale in which we want to present our work. I think we should present that work without compromise. We should present that work 
in the highest in the highest of spaces that we can and that might take place on a wet wednesday afternoon at a solo performance at the edinburgh festival it might take place here at the shed on a wednesday afternoon across our entire building i believe it can have equal impact i am personally interested in scale for the potential it still holds for me artistically and in terms of its reach your roots and your energies still seem to be coming from connecting across uh, all sorts of different uh, uh, bringing together all sorts of other energies i'm not here to teach white people about themselves right that's not what i'm here to do right this might be a thing that people feel like I'm here in service of education. I'm not in service to education. I'm in service to our shared reality. And in order for this to be a shared reality, we all have to, in the words of Claudia Rankin, agree that it's raining right now. And if we can't all agree that it's raining, then clearly we're not all living in the shared reality. And I think in order for us to create real transformation, it is about having equity in in the conversation that we are having and not feeling like we are merely being responsive or being, uh, or merely accepting the p position of being the beneficiary of change, but rather being the advocates, being the instigators, being the architects of that change. And Paul, my question to you is, why does it still feel like others can't see the jeopardy? Like, I, it's almost as if, do why are people not seeing just how close to the edge we are. I mean, that's the thing that baffles me continually, that the idea that we're still having to make an argument. In the conversations you have, are you still in a place of trying to convince people or? Certainly in Brazil, uh, where, where I'm speaking from now, is, uh, the, uh, as we know, that there's an enormous uh, institutional, political, social denial, as well as these incredible voices of people who are literally on the edge. I was in the COP26, it wasn't at all that I was. Of course. This isn't the first time we've had this fight. We haven't started now. We've been fighting this since 1500. Uh, but these indigenous people are on the edge, but so are people in favelas. So are people who are in rural Pakistan. So I go back to what, you, um, what you're saying about one of the role, our roles in operating culture is is to to find those connections but i do say to your listeners how do we find more jeopardy to encourage a greater degree of accountability from the cultural sector and from a political class i really do feel right now there has to be a greater degree of accountability i think it's really easy as we're seeing to sweep under the carpet because of the importance of some other issue the importance of climate change. And that's where we have to mobilize and ask ourselves, what is the process of accountability now? Because right now I just feel it is politicians that are dictating the pace of change. And, and we can all agree that doesn't entirely feel satisfying nor joined up. And someone said this to me once, Paul, that in order to change the minds of politicians, it is jeopardy and data that compels powerful people to make a decision. I just really feel the moral argument is spent. I felt the arg economic argument has been made. I think the argument about our future children has been made. I feel right now we've exhausted, I believe, to some degree, though those reasons never stop being pertinent. I feel it is not just better 
advocacy to a political class that is going to change this, but a reformulating of the uh, of the theory of the concept that we are going to apply for the urgency of the change. Because I argue, if you look at the data right now, and then you also add in what the jeopardy is, it's patently clear. We are two decades behind where we ought to be. And I feel that is what we can do. We can reframe the urgency by talking to concerns that amplify those other underpinning debates that we've been having today. Adni, that was fantastic. Thank you as ever. Now, before I bring Zoe Svensson into this conversation, I'd like to play just a very short clip from an interview that international climate lawyer Fahana Yamin gave to Julie's bicycle that I think really reinforces the argument that's just been made by Madam. You really need fundamentally to rethink, you know, uh, society. We need to rethink our own behaviours. The, the role of lawyers and economists had been overprivileged. And, you know, we tried to sort of use facts to move the world to a different space. And we'd got treaties and laws, but actually we hadn't changed hearts and minds and, and fundamental you know, ways of thinking. And actually you need artists on board to do that. With all this in mind, I now welcome Zoe, who's speaking to us from Berlin. We're gonna be thinking about ways in which theater makers and academics have started to find a, a protest voice again in their work around climate. Zoe, do you think it's harder to say the urgent things that we need to be saying in universities, or is it harder to say them in theatres? Um, I think it always depends on the context. Um, and that's not, not a cop-out, it's to say that it's always specific. So there are particular forums where it never feels difficult to say the thing, it's whether it's heard, I think, is in both forums is the question. And I suppose the work I've been doing now for quite a long time is, is sort of trying to think about what forms, what dramaturgical forms might, might enable, not, not just people to listen, but for there to be a conversation. Because I think it isn't merely a matter of, of one group of people listening to another group of people. It's much more about a, a bigger conversation about who we are and the assumptions we make about who we are in the world and what that means for how we live and how we might need to change both how we live and who we think we are. Um, you know, no small, no small task. Um, I will say that I think there's an interesting, um, I've had the interesting experience at times in academic forums where the work is sometimes treated as naive because it's not interested in the dismantling aspect of critique. So it is critical work, but it is critical work recognizing um, that we need to keep trying and attempting and working out and working out who to work with and how and how to hear and listen to more voices and to recognize the complexity as a kind of bearing witness to the mess we're in, I guess. I think we're all very well trained both in universities and through social media and generally in the culture to critique, to dismantle, to see what's wrong in the way that somebody does something. Um, it's much harder to keep going with trying to build something. Um, and I feel like that building and making um, in, even though you know, it doesn't make any claim to finding a solution. So I think there's sort of a lot of the solution based talk is 
quite problematic because the you know it, we could either say we know what all the solutions are they're just not being done or we might say it's it's too complex to think of a single solution so i think there's sometimes a demand in the theater for a one size fits all answer and i think that's where i find the combination of the of the um kind of research mode with making helpful because it also um enables us to demonstrate that we're not attempting to tell anyone because we've suddenly somehow know already that actually the whole process of of making is also a process of research welcome this is your briefing the world is warming we are here to work out what is to be done the scenarios you are about to explore in the factory of the future are based on conversations with our speakers and other specialists. All imagine change to the fundamental structure of society, altering our social, economic, and environmental relationships. We invite you to add your voice to those scenarios. Now, what you've just been listening to was a clip from We Know Not What We May Be, a collaborative and immersive experiment by Zoe, which she presented at the Barbican in 2018 where they explored how artists respond to, reflect, and can potentially affect change in social and political landscapes. At the Donmar, where, where you, I think you're still based at the moment, you're quite in, you seem quite embedded into their structures, uh, which is it's in itself a development. How is that working? Um, there's a great phrase do it with others rather than do it yourself <laughs> and that actually for everybody involved in trying to think about climate crisis in the context of theatre making there's no way in which anyone can go it alone often any idea needs um, other people involved in order to enable it um, and so the process I've been doing at the Donmar is a research process practice led but it's uh, a case of exploring ideas to some extent testing and then implementing, but it's trying to move away from that scientific model really and really and rather look at the ethics of engagement. Because what we found over the process, which has involved doing lots of workshops with internal Donmar staff and freelancers and trying to keep those different communities in dialogue with, with one another, um, we found that it, there are a lot of people who are strongly engaged with the questions but haven't found the tools in their own practice to implement their beliefs and their desires partly because um the space isn't there or they feel the space isn't there in our sort of rapid time no you know no time no money scenario even even um as a classical theater like the Donmar um which means that then things get missed so what we're looking at is the ways that institutions can create the platform and and the offer such that artists can take it up and run with it they asked me to come up with a green glossary and then we had a big discussion about the word sustainability and we're looking at not really using that word anymore but instead talking about environmental harm or environmental impact um, and environmental responsibility the theatre is the place that we tell stories and that those stories aren't just the content of what goes on stage but also how we talk to each other and how that um the ideas get mediated i love that because you talked about network of possibilities and it, i suppose the first thought of having a dramaturg to come to a theatre to think about climate crisis and that sort of thing is what are the characters going to be in the play what's the story going to be told and you've sort of blown that apart and said no it's about the dramaturgy almost of the institution and really about having this long-term 
relationship with them that it's it's both on off beyond behind the stage and i'm just fascinated also about what you think you have to achieve in any of that those sort of each of those individual projects that you do i i often say that the climate crisis is a context not just a topic in you know particularly in connection with the work i'm doing at the donmar but i have myself been making work where the climate crisis is the condition of the work is the you know is the story in a sense what it would be like if we did all the things that people say would work in relation to dealing with the climate crisis and it, and it very quickly becomes intersectional because actually because because the climate crisis to my mind anyway is a is a is an outcome rather than a situation of, of the you know, toxic nexus of capitalism and colonialism and white supremacy. And that those, those behaviors over 400 years have led to this outcome of the, of the climate crisis. Um, then actually for me, the, you know, the place of the theater is the place for thinking about how we relate to one another and therefore also the place of thinking how we've been conditioned by history that we're embedded in and remain embedded in. Thank you, Zoe and Madani, for this fantastic conversation. And now, as many of us head to COP27, the United Nations Climate Summit in Egypt, we close this episode with actor and director Simon McBurney, speaking at an emergency gathering that we from People's Palace Projects and Complicite called last year at the end of COP26. Simon's speaking to us from the Roundhouse in London. The scientists have done their job. The science is clear. It's now time for the storytellers to step up and tell those stories. There are many storytellers here. So one way in which we can tell the stories is to leave space for those voices who we need to listen to and hear. In the next episode, we will go after these voices that need to be heard at COP27 in Egypt to discuss with indigenous leaders, environmental activists, and those who often do not have a seat at negotiating tables. We're going to be talking about the role of the arts in addressing the climate emergency. Air Conversation is produced by Eula Rocha, a journalist and communication manager at People's Palace Projects, which is an arts research centre for social justice at Queen Mary University of London. The soundtrack of this podcast is the instrumental song Aprendendo a Dizer Não, or Learning to Say No, by Brazilian artist Jonathan Panter, produced by Rafael Rocha and Rodrigo Campello with People's Palace Projects. Podcast used clips from Cost of Living by Martina Mioc, The Minute trailer by Tracy Letts, the Thomas Saraceno exhibition trailer at The Shed in New York, Can I Live? Trailer by Fahenti Balogun, Complicite. An interview with international climate lawyer Fahana Yamin for the Color Green Conversation by Julie's Bicycle. And a short clip from the performance installation We Know Not What We May Be by Metis. Thank you to Jano Media for supporting us with the production of this podcast series as part of their ongoing commitment to creating content that has a positive impact on lives and society. Bye for now.